If you take your Bibles out with me this morning, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 through 40. And as I said at the beginning of service this morning, we're going to hear from this incredible event of Jesus being brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph to be dedicated to God. And we're going to hear a response from Simeon and the prophet Anna. So turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. I'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning. When the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons shall be given. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own hometown of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The special day, celebrating the presentation of Jesus at the temple, in accordance with the law of Moses, is filled with fruitful direction for us on this Christmas Sunday. There's so many places I felt like I could preach a whole sermon from, but, but I just want to focus on the story as a whole. Because just like with any scriptural text, the gifts of God are replete throughout all the whole passage. Uh, let me run through a few of them. We have the word for the revelation to Simeon, received through the Holy Spirit. 
That's also the same Greek word that's used for Joseph receiving notice or a revelation in a dream to not return to Herod after Christ's birth in Matthew chapter 2. And we get the same word again in the angel's appearance to Cornelius the centurion, telling him to send for Peter in Acts chapter 10, verse 22. The Spirit imparts visions of a new order of reality that both save Joseph's little family from harm and all of Cornelius' household. And finally, the salvation revealed to Simeon. These are revelations from the Holy Spirit. And so when we see that the Holy Spirit is upon Simeon, we should go back and understand these stories where the Holy Spirit has also imparted a revelation or vision to others. When Simeon speaks of the falling and rising of many, he encapsulates Jesus' whole identity, reversing the expected pattern of human life, which we are accustomed to think as successes preceding failure. We often don't think of rising and falling. We think of falling and then rising. That common expression where no matter how many times you fall down, it doesn't matter. It matters that you get back up, right? Well, this is a reverse of that. We have the rising and then falling in this text rather than successes preceding failures. Another gift in this passage is Jesus will be a sign that will be opposed or a sign of opposition. This is echoing the prophet Isaiah. He will, where Isaiah says, he will become a sanctuary, a stone one strikes against, a cornerstone, a rock one stumbles over, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken away. This is an, an image of Jesus, which is not the friendly guy who does not confront evil. No, this is the biblical Jesus who speaks harsh words of truth to those who cheat the poor and who fall into sin. Simeon's response to taking Jesus in his arms, understanding the magnitude of what God will do through Christ. He says, now, Lord, you can let your servant go in peace. You can dismiss your servant in peace. The power of this passage is that we become Simeon when we behold all that Christ represents. And that's the opportunity, not only do we have every Christmas, but every time we come to worship Christ, we have the opportunity to behold all that Christ represents, just like Simeon taking Christ into his hands and is just in awe of all that God will do through Christ. We can do the same and go from that understanding in peace, a greater peace, knowing what God will do through Christ Jesus. And when we do, we cannot help but sing Simeon's song of peace. We go from there singing declarations of great joy of what God will do through Christ. And Luke doesn't stop there. 
After Simeon, we hear Anna's prophetic voice. I can't help but hear the voice of Hannah, who, who also longed for a child in 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 2. In gratitude to God for giving her her son Samuel, to her and her husband, she sings what becomes a model for Mary's Magnificat, which we read aloud last, last Sunday at the end of service. God's power to affect what seems impossible is good news for those in need. That's the power of the gospel too. What seems impossible in front of us. God's power to affect change and affect goodness is the good news of the gospel. That what we see as impossible, God can affect real and lasting, eternal change. This is the power of Christmas. This is the power of Christmas. When we behold this power, we cannot help but sing praise and declare, Now, Lord, send your servant away in peace. But how do we get there? How do we arrive at being at awe of God's power in Christ Jesus? For some, it's an incredible miracle where they're just in awe. They receive a vision of the Holy Spirit. But it may not work that way for all of us. We may go throughout our day-to-day -day lives wondering about the power of God and what God may do through Christ Jesus in our world today. So how do we get there? How do we stand in awe of all that God is going to do and all the, that God has done through Christ Jesus. Well, to answer this question, I want to look at the two little words that, Samuel, that Simeon says in verse 34, falling and rising. He says to Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. This seemingly straightforward story seems inconsequential. It's a parting word to Mary about what will happen in the future in Christ's ministry. But because the ideas are repeated all throughout the scriptures, we need to sit up and, and take notice. In normal language, we would speak of something like rising and falling. Take the prophetess Anna, for example. We would say she worshipped night and day, as Luke tells us. We might explore a reason for this reversal. The fall before being raised up. Night before day, rather than day and night. Sunrise, sunset, or sunset and sunrise. Why do we have the reversal? These words are so similar to struggles and sorrows. A deep part of human life, a reality for all of us. We all know what it feels like to rise and to fall succeed and fail, have great joy and have great sorrow. Simeon tells Mary that a sword will pierce her own soul, her own psyche. She will experience great pain, 
through agony and the, the sheer madness and frustration of those who witness injustice but are unable to stop it. She witnessed the unjust arrest and execution of her son and didn't have the power to stop it. That is, is maddening and frustrating for people who are witnessing injustice and have no power to stop it. When we who live on this side of the crucifixion and resurrection hear Simeon's words, we have a way to know something of what Mary will endure, watching her son die. Or maybe we can never really know what she went through. At least we can honor her torment and can compare it to our own struggles in our lives. She is the mother of all the disappeared and oppressed, the imprisoned and the tortured protesters throughout history. She stands beside his cross and she watches in helplessness. A sword will pierce her own soul too. What we see through her life and the life of Jesus is that before the rising, there is a falling. Before the glory of God is revealed, there's the cross. Mirroring the order, down before up, cross before triumph, wilderness before manger. There is the fasting and praying of the prophet Anna, practiced night and day. We first learn that she is up all night, and only then do we learn that she is also in prayer all day. She is keeping vigil at all hours, waiting for the arrival of the one who will redeem Israel. These two prophets know what God is about. Salvation comes through confrontation. The sign of the Messiah is opposition. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. There is no unbinding without binding. That the hard reality of repentance precedes forgiveness tells us plainly that there is no forgiveness where there is no fault. As your pastor, what I want to see deeply define Euclid's future, our identity as a community and as a church, is personal transformation in Jesus. I want to see us so radically transformed in Christ because we can't have world transformation without first having our own hearts transformed in Christ. If we want our world to be holy, we must start by living holy lives. If we want the world to be good, we must start being good ourselves. If we want the Holy Spirit to captivate and bring revival to our church, to our world, we must allow ourselves to first be captivated and revived by the Holy Spirit. We cannot expect our world to surrender to the love of God if we don't first surrender to God's love ourselves. This requires transformation of our innermost being, the hard work of repentance daily, so that God's forgiveness can define our lives individually, then corporately as the church, corporately as a community, 
corporately as a city, and it just spreads through the world from there. We need a discipleship that brings about personal transformation. This is the only way we can move towards the power of God in the rising and falling of daily life. When we have transformed hearts, we begin to see that in the midst of the facts of injustice in in this world, the fact of pain, hurt, denigration, want, and death, we can know that God is eternally at work to bring healing to all facets of our lives. The Lord is at work in the world, just as Mary sings about when the angel announces God's favor over her. She gives thanks that God brings down the powerful, lifts up the lowly, feeds the hungry, and sends the rich away empty. All these powerful actions mean to reverse normal worldly expectations to the order of God's holy kingdom. Not in spite of, but because of struggle and destruction. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, brings consolation and deliverance. The Holy Spirit guides the faithful to meet the Messiah in order to take on the same mission. To lose ourselves in order to find ourselves. Just as the Spirit rested on Simeon and on Joseph and on Cornelius, the Spirit rests on the baptized of every age, compelling prayer and fasting, urging us to righteous deeds, calling us to see through or within our failures a pathway to good. The Lord uses the wicked ways of all creation in order to bring about what nurtures and creates peace. And thus Simeon is able to sing a song of peace, which has come to him because he has seen the Savior. When we sing with the words of Simeon, we acknowledge that we too, have seen the Lord. We have been given a vision of the peace Simeon and Anna knew after such a long wait in the temple. We have heard the word of the Lord, confessed our sins as Christians, and received forgiveness. And even though we're not able to be present with each other in person in these last few months of 2020, And even though we're not able to receive the bread and the cup in person, we receive through God's word the promise of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. This is enough for us to sing thanksgiving, to sing songs of praise for this vision of the Lord's real abiding presence in our lives. We sing Simeon's own experience when we sing his words as our own. Now, Lord, let your servant go in peace. 
Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, this first Sunday of Christmas, you revealed the long-awaited hopes, not only of Simeon and Anna. Lord, they, they point back to the long-awaited hopes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah and the beginning of the Israelite people. And Lord God, those hopes were fulfilled in the manger when Christ was born that first Christmas. So Lord God, let it not just be something that we remember, that God was born in the flesh in the world, but that you too can be born and carried in us, Lord God, and that your light may shine through us to such an extent that even though people rise and fall in the everyday facts of struggle and success, that your power may leave us in awe and the peace of your Son may define our lives in this world. Lord God, Simeon says that Jesus will be a Messiah of opposition. And Lord God, we know that people either rise to the occasion of Christ or they fall away. And we, we learn that when Jesus comes back, we know that there will be those who are separated in, from wheat, from chaff, goats, and sheep those who rise and those who fall away. And Lord God, what brings that division is the willful acceptance of you and your work or the willful rejection. And Lord God, we as a community of believers, we want to be found among those who rise to the occasion. We want to be found among those who are faithful to seek out your righteousness in our lives. So, Lord God, may you look upon us and see your holiness, your righteousness through all that we think, say, and do. And may your light be shown through us in this dark world. And let the world know how beloved it is by you through our works, through our thoughts, and through our love and service to them. You sent your Son because you love the world not because you want to see it destroyed and condemned. So Lord God, let it be through us that your love is shown most richly in your world. In the hope, peace, joy, and love of Christ, we ask these things. Amen.